0: Welcome to the Postpartum Coach Podcast, where we embrace our needs as moms, we learn how to lead ourselves first, then our families, and where we create our own healing from the inside out and find our way to the work we were meant to do in this world. I'm your host, a fellow mom of three, a songwriter, life coach, and wellness advocate, Liz Langston. It is 2020. Welcome to the new year. How are you guys feeling? How does 2020 feel to you? Does it feel like another day? Does it feel like it's going to change your life? Speaking of life changes, I was looking around Instagram at a lot of your guys's posts about, you know, saying goodbye to 2019 and listing all the things you did. And so many of you, which obviously this makes sense. I follow a bunch of postpartum moms, all of you guys, So many of you had a baby this year, right? In 2019. And you're like, yeah, we put our house up for sale. We went to Cancun or wherever. And then you're like, and we added a new member to our family. And it was just on the list as if it was just this other thing. And I just wanted to take a moment. Let's take a breath and be like, what? You added a human being to your family this last year. You said yes to growth in a huge way. You were so vulnerable with the universe to open your mind and body and heart to feed and clothe and love for one more human and really do anything for that human. So 2019, if you had a baby, the year goes down in the books. (laughs) Do not let the commonness of all the people having babies around you in the close knit world we live in on social media to steal away your wonder and sense of real accomplishment what that is, having another baby. It is simply a feat. Speaking of simply and simple and simplifying, it is what we're going to be talking about today. It's what I naturally want to do each new year. I think it's because when we simplify, we have more brain space to do other things, to think other things. We have more emotional space. We have new energy And with that new energy, we can accomplish new things. We can break into new possibility and new abilities. So what better way to get started in 2020 than to create some new space and new energy for new things and new accomplishments? I've been reading a book called Simplicity Parenting. The main idea is how you can use simplifying your child's environment and the amount of toys they have and the amount of stuff in general to help them improve their behaviors and their focus and their connection with you. I'll throw the link in the show notes. But as I've been simplifying our home environment, which is usually what we think of when we think about simplifying, um I've been thinking we can simplify and create emotional space and renewed energy in lots of ways, not just physical literal, you know, with cleaning out the cupboards or whatever. So today I'm going to help you simplify one of the three main areas I work with my clients in your marriage. So think about how much of your day you are in your marriage. When you think about your marriage, you're in it. When you interact with your spouse, you're in it. All of those moments you're dwelling in your marriage when you're talking to him, right? That's a lot of time and energy spent each day in your marriage, even if you're not physically near him. So let's simplify, shall we? Out with the old in with the new. I'm going to spend the rest of the episode going through the areas of marriage that get complicated, that bog us down and that weigh us down emotionally that you probably don't even realize because all your friends are probably living this way too. And when you get on social media or the media, like the today show, whatever, you're going to see and hear people talking about the stuff you go through in your marriage. Like it's normal, but really there are ways to emotionally streamline how you feel in your marriage and simplify your interactions. I mean, mentally simplify so that you are more empowered and you have more space to feel how you want to feel a lot more independent of what your husband is doing. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound just like what you need in 2020? All right. So let's delve in the first principle I'm going to teach you. And again, these are principles of emotional adulthood, essentially right? We're married, we're adults. So we need to be in emotional adulthood. And so we're going to address some of these today. Number one, people don't cause other people's feelings. This is so simple. And yet if you take a closer look at how we're raised, right? This was not taught to us. Don't do that. You'll hurt his feelings, right? That's what all of our moms said. And we love our moms. Hey, no hard feelings to the mamas. They are amazing, but We're learning some things nowadays. We can no longer, if we want to live a great life, we can no longer just take and digest what we learn in the social culture around us as truth. We've got to be seekers of the higher truth if there is any to be found. And I want to offer that when it comes to what we've been taught, both, you know, just by the way we were raised and social cultural stuff, but also in psychology textbooks in high school and whatever, emotional adulthood has not really been within our reach, readily available in our typical environment. And so today I'm going to be offering you some new sharper tools, um, that are kind of more emotionally mature to be frank and honest, and really will help you interact in your marriage in a cleaner way. Squeaky clean. All right. So like I said, people don't cause other people's feelings. So if you can't hurt his feelings or if he can't hurt your feelings, what does, what does hurt your husband's feelings if not you and your words when he gets upset? The answer is his thoughts. His thoughts about you or what you did or what you said. Husband's thoughts cause his feelings. Your thoughts as the wife cause your feelings. Thoughts create feelings. So let's review the model, which is The main tool that I use with my clients and as a certified life coach from the life coach school, the model being created by my mentor, Brooke Castillo, the co-founder of the life coach school. Okay. And this tool shows us the flow of any human experience. All right. And then I'm going to answer some common questions I get about this principle that people don't cause people's feelings and thoughts to. So the model goes like this. It's five nouns. And it's kind of like a math equation. You can fill in your own stuff and it will help you solve any problem. It is circumstance, thought, feeling, action, and results. So write those down one after the other on a paper. Circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. Any human interaction you'll ever have, any problem you'll ever need to solve is within one of these five nouns. So when we're interacting with our husband, where does him he, where does he and what he says fall within the model? So our husband is always going to be a circumstance. What comes after a circumstance in the model? Circumstance, then thought thoughts. Okay. So you cannot feel a feeling without having had a thought first. Circumstances don't cause feelings. Our thoughts cause feelings circumstances are actually neutral they are incapable of creating feelings your husband's words when they leave his mouth are incapable of causing a feeling within you your brain does that your brain causes the feelings the tricky thing about husbands and marriage and feelings and everything and following this emotional rule is that we love our husband so much and so many times what they say we automatically consider it to be true right or we rarely censor it as something other than he must be right. This just must be right because he loves me and whatever. But we are married to a human who has human thoughts. They are his own thoughts. Now, maybe he is right in the most true thing in your life sometimes with what he says, but maybe not. The important thing is you get to believe him if you want to, but it's just important to know that his words come from his thoughts, nothing more, nothing less. Your words come from your thoughts and your feelings do not come from his words. Your feelings come from your thoughts about his words. Are you following? Do you follow? I absolutely love and cherish these tools. So if they're not sitting quite right, just yet, give it a little time, listen to the whole episode through maybe twice, and then kind of marinate it throughout the week. Just think about it and kind of watch your marriage throughout the week and see if you feel like these are true, see how they would be or could be. Okay. So let me give you an example. My husband comes home from work and there are three piles of clean, but unfolded laundry visible to him. One is on the couch. One is on the coffee table and one pile is on the rocking chair. This is all in the same room though, the living room. Okay. So my husband walks in and he says, man, it looks like a bomb went off in here. I feel offended. This is where most people think that his words cause the feeling because it happens so fast. But if we look more closely, if we take a little emotional mental microscope here and we look more closely, when he said, it looks like a bomb went off in here. I had a thought in my brain so fast, but it was there in between his word and my feeling, which is something like he doesn't see all the good that I do throughout the day, or he's not giving me credit, some thought we have probably have three or four or five thoughts, frankly, or more, but we have some thoughts that lead us to feel a feeling that is separate from the words that left his mouth just a few seconds ago. Okay. So with your husband, every time, if you pay attention, there will be a thought in your head that is at the root of all your feelings. And this is happening for him as well, but he doesn't know it. You do know this now, common confusion with this principle. The first thing I hear people say is, if I don't cause anyone's feelings, if I don't cause his feelings, then why try, why try to be nice? So my response, you can kind of play with that and answer it for your own. But my response is that just because we cause our own feelings and they cause their own feelings, other people, right? doesn't mean that you're not accountable for how you behave and treat others, right? I think so many times we think that we need to be nice so that they don't feel bad. But when we realize that they don't feel things based off of what we do, they feel things based off of their thoughts. And we're like, wait, then why do we be nice? Because we've been taught this our whole lives. For me, why I'm nice is number one, if I'm being really human and honest, it just feels better to be nice for me. I think it feels nice to be nice. But number two is that I subscribe to the values and the gospel of Jesus Christ And so I want to be kind and good and nice and loving because that's what he taught. And I follow him and I love him. I believe that my salvation is because of him. And I feel so indebted to him that I want to do whatever he asks me to do. And that's something he asks me to do. Um, I also feel like being nice is really aligned with God, but it's just, you can answer that question and pontificate this, you know, in your own mind, great to yourself, but It's just so interesting to think about our whole lives. We've been taught to be nice so that it's kind of fear-based, right? So that somebody doesn't feel bad. But what would it be like to be nice out of a faith-based or a trust and love-based approach instead of a fear-based approach? I love understanding this because it just makes the Savior, my Savior, more a part of my life. And it very much sets me free from this obligation or this people-pleasing type of thing. Okay. Another misunderstanding or misuse of the principle that people don't cause people's feelings, their thoughts, our thoughts cause our feelings, right? Is people say, okay, so next time my husband and I are fighting and he's upset, I'll just tell him that my actions and words don't cause his feelings and be off the hook, right? Like I'll just throw it back in his face. So first of all, that's a misuse of this. And I think what they're really asking is how does saying sorry come into play when i know that i didn't cause his upsetness that i didn't cause his feelings if that's true then why say sorry or how does that work again first of all accountability like do you really want to be someone that doesn't ever say sorry and take responsibility cuz sorry is taking responsibility for what you just did in part that's not completely what sorry says but that's part of it you're recognizing i did it and by saying sorry you're also saying i recognize that I did that. Okay. But something else that I realized once I started to again, marinate on these tools and bring them into my life and test them out in my marriage is that I learned that saying sorry is for me. It's to separate myself from the deed that I have done kind of like repentance. When I repent, I am turning away from the thing I did and I'm seeking for a different way of behaving in future. When we say, sorry, it's to say, Hey, what I did and said, that is separate and different from who I want to be and who I'm trying to be and who I feel like I really am. Now I do say sorry. in partly for the other person in partly in part, in part for the other person, I do say sorry for my husband's sake. I want to let him know it's important to me that he knows, Hey, I don't want to act like that. And that's not me. And I'm sorry. Um, so you can say sorry. I think a lot of times people think we need to say sorry to try and make someone feel better. And that may or may not work. You can do it, but it shouldn't be the only reason you do it because it's possible that your apology will do nothing to help him feel better. He might continue to maintain and play on repeat the same thoughts he has that are keeping him upset. And you can't control that. And saying sorry doesn't necessarily change that. Um, it's still good to say for sure. Like, I think it feels good to say sorry. It feels like taking responsibility and that always feels good, but your apology may not fix things for him because he gets to choose what his thoughts are in response to your apology. Okay. And the third misconception here is even if I realize my own thoughts, people say to me, like, even if I realize my own thoughts are causing my negative feeling towards my husband, can I still ask him to apologize to me? Or can I still ask him to stop doing that or change something about him? Is that okay? So my answer is totally You are an adult. You get to do whatever you want. And yes, absolutely. By all means, I call this making a request. You can make a request anytime you want to. Maybe there are little things like scratching your back at night or holding the car door for you, you know, open for you on a date. And you want him to do these things because you feel warm and fuzzy inside when he does those things. You like those circumstances. You have happy thoughts about him doing those things and you want him to do them. And he can, for sure, one of the nice perks about having a husband who loves you is he might choose to do these things for you. Maybe when somebody else wouldn't, because he wants you to be happy in a way that maybe somebody else doesn't. So definitely you can make a request, just know and understand that he may not remember or he may not do it right. <laughs> and right. as you have probably learned at this point in your marriage. And so just keep in mind that ultimately, um, it's, it's on you to, take responsibility for the fact that what he does is separate from your thoughts about it. And always know that you are creating your happiness through your thoughts about his actions, but it is still fun to use our husband as that sweet little thing to help us feel so happy. That's one of the benefits of being married. I know this kind of breaks it down and it takes all the romanticism away. It kind of seems like that at first, right? It seems like we're getting so logical and technical with the romanticism, You can have plenty of romantic, but I just want to tell you American love culture definitely backfires and it's definitely steeped in, uh, what I say, emotional adolescence. So you can actually, with these tools, once you get used to them, they do feel even more romantic than ever. When you understand that your thoughts can create the exact way you want to feel about your husband. It is so simple to feel happy. It doesn't feel so complicated. It doesn't feel so delegated to feel happy in your marriage. You don't have to wait and hope, you know how to create it. It's so empowering and you can take more charge and control in your marriage to make it how you want it to be, which ultimately will lead to a happier, you and probably add to the happiness for him and happily ever after is actually in real life and not just in movies. Voila. Okay. The next principle principle number two. My happiness in the relationship is my responsibility. Say that with me now. <laughs> no, just kidding. But seriously, sometimes it doesn't feel like this. Definitely, a lot of us haven't had this role played for us in our parents growing up, but we can understand our happiness is our responsibility. Your happiness is your responsibility. This sounds so harsh. I'm going to explain it. But before I do, I just want to say in my Instagram TV, I have a video on this called Resentment in Motherhood. And though it says resentment in motherhood, I actually talk about resentment in marriage. Resentment is one of those effects that happens when we don't take enough responsibility for our own needs and we're delegating or waiting for somebody else to help us out with something that we need. This can happen, for example, a lot of my clients say, their husband will call and say, Hey, I have a meeting. I got to stay late at work. Or, Hey, do you mind if I go do this fun thing with a friend real quick after work before coming home? And these wives who have been home all day, this was me, you guys, we've been home all day with the babies. We're like, no, get home. That is not okay. Right. When in reality, and we feel resentful if they do go out when in reality, we could hire someone to come be with our kids so that we could get out. Right. And so your happiness in your marriage and in your family life is your responsibility. And we have to be so careful because if we start to place too much responsibility on our husband to let us off the hook or help us out, we are starting to give away a lot of responsibility to him. And that can be icky, can make it murky. It can build up resentment from him and from, from you from him to you and from you to him. Here are a few culturally taught, uh, messages that seem romantic, but actually set us up for a hard time in our marriage. Um, we complete each other. I need him. He needs me. Isn't that romantic, right? Like, isn't that what love looks like without you? I am nothing. You're my other half. He's supposed to make me happy. He makes me happy. I make him happy and that's why we have a good marriage, right? So these are a pieces of emotional adolescence. They work well, short time, given that no real hardships come up in life, given that our partner is willing to do anything to make us happy. But what about when they want to do something that makes them happy? That really doesn't make us happy. Or what about when life gets hard? What about when you've made eternal promises to each other and you want to stay married for life and then your husband Is unfaithful or dies or something. How does it work then when your whole life you've told yourself these things? Life as a married adult throws some stern stuff. Okay. And so we need more emotional maturity, more clarity, more simplicity, clean lines that allows the space for independence when needed. We need emotional adulthood and emotional adulthood says, I do the work I need to be whole and happy and taken care of and personally whole as an individual. And I come to this relationship and this marriage as emotionally whole as I can be. I take care of that myself. That's my gift to you as my marriage partner. And then you husband, you do the work to be emotionally whole and independent and get what you need and take care of what you need to be whole for you. And then together we come together as these two whole individuals who get to enjoy each other. And get to live life together and enjoy living life together. Now, one of the tricky sort of cognitive dissonances that happens with us when we hear this stuff is like, what about the movies, (laughs) right? Like what about what my therapist tells me to do, which is, Hey, give him a list of your needs and then he can fulfill it. And that's love. And then he gives you a list of his needs and you can fulfill that. I don't think that's love. I really don't. I think that's manipulation. I think that's the art of people pleasing. Why bring that into your marriage? Then your partner doesn't feel comfortable saying, Hey, I don't really want to do that because they feel like they have to now to quote, make you happy. What if you could make you happy? What if he could make him happy? then what would you get to do together if you didn't have to worry about each other's happiness? Oh my gosh. Right? So freeing. So there's that for simplicity. Principle number three, simplicity in marriage. You ready? My relationship with him exists in my mind. His relationship with me exists in his mind. Our relationship exists differently in his mind than in my mind. In other words, relationships exist in the mind. This one was trippy for me. Is it freaking you out? This freaked me out. <laughs> okay, so American love culture would dictate here that our relationship is something that we both mutually feel and experience together. And that's kind of true in physical ways. Like physically, we can experience intimacy together, holding hands, kissing, and you know, that's all we do, right? Wink. <laughs> But when it comes to the status of the relationship and our experience of it, that all does exist in our mind. So here's an example to kind of paint this for you because it's kind of tricky sometimes to understand. Let's say a husband goes to a guy's night and his friends are like, hey, how's the wife? How's married life? And he's like, it's awesome. It's great. You know, my wife and I, our relationship is so strong. And then the wife goes to a girl's night and she's asked the same question. And she's like, honestly, it's rough sometimes. Married life, our, our relationship's really rocky right now. It's really hard. So she's having an entirely different experience in the relationship. So that's because her thoughts about it are one thing and create one feeling of it and experience of it. And his are other thoughts and creates other experience of it. I really like this one because it gives you a little bit more reason and criteria and permission to kind of check in and see how he is feeling. So many times we read body language in our marriage and it really doesn't serve us. If you think about, we make assumptions, right? If you think about the model, we have circumstance, thought, feeling, action. So if we're basing our thoughts about what their thoughts are based off of their actions, we're missing their feelings and their thoughts. And so there's a lot of room for error there. So it's so helpful to know that the relationship exists in the mind. And frankly, everything that your person is experiencing, your your husband is experiencing is existing in his mind, including how he thinks of you, how he feels about you. So many times we want to make how he feels about us mean something that's true about us, but it's only as true as his thoughts are. And he's human And so maybe his thoughts are not true at all. Like, I know you love him and you want to believe everything he says about you. And honestly, it might serve the world and yourself to take into consideration what he does say. Like, let's say he has a constructive criticism or maybe it's not so constructive and he just criticizes you. Of course, it's very good for you to sit and think, okay, is there truth in that? But also sometimes we only think about that when really you can also think he's human, Right, this could be a human thought from a human brain. Even though I love him, even though he's amazing, sometimes he has thoughts that are truly optional for me to think, and as he talks to me in an argument, he might be offering me a lot of thoughts and very persuasively at that. But ultimately, they are just thoughts. They are his thoughts, and I don't have to take them on if I don't want to. If it doesn't serve me, if it doesn't help me be the person and the wife I want to be. All right. Principle number 4. When I attach emotion to every move he makes, I give him more power than he wants over my emotions. Okay. I'm going to give a couple examples because these are just awesome stories and they're the best way to illustrate it. So I distinctly remember a time when my husband had said something and I read between the lines, right? And I assumed that he meant it passive aggressively and I got really offended and hurt. I withdrew as I do when I'm hurt and offended and I didn't want to talk to him and I spent the rest of the evening alone. Well, when we finally talked about it, come to find out he did not mean it that way at all. And like, you know how, you know, your husband so well, he told me, he was like, no, I I wasn't thinking that at all. That is not what I meant at all. And in hindsight, I can see how my assumption, my thought about his thoughts, right? I got in his head for a minute. It colored my entire experience of that conversation In a not favorable way. It didn't serve me at all to jump into his brain and make assumptions about the thoughts behind his words. I was getting into his model, right? I remember thinking after having learned these tools, I thought, okay, if I could delegate my emotions to anyone, would I choose my husband? (laughs) Hopefully, the answer is no for you, right? Because he's human and he's not you and he doesn't know everything you want and need and all the things. So if the answer is yes, you may need to look into that and make sure he's not living in this marriage where he feels like your happiness depends on him and he's doing everything for you to keep you happy and it's exhausting for him. You might want to check into that. But yeah, like, would you really want to delegate your emotions to him? Because that's exactly what we're doing when we get in his head and make assumptions and have emotions about his words. It's so messy. So way more simple is just asking him, I feel like you might be meaning this. Do you mean that? And let him have a chance to say yes or no. Why do we want to go digging and creating stories behind his models that he's, he's not even in on. He doesn't want that control over your emotions. He doesn't like, that's what I've realized. My husband doesn't want all that control, but we're giving him so much control over over, over our emotions that way. Okay. I remember another example This is a classic newlywed example, y'all. It was literally one of our first meals together in our little apartment as newlyweds. I cooked a steak, and before he even tries it, he asks me to pass him the ketchup. (laughs) Raise your hand. Who can relate to something like this? So I was immediately offended, and I had a thought like, if he wants ketchup, that means he is anticipating that my cooking wasn't good or whatever, right? But really, I've come to learn since as I subtracted my thoughts out of the equation and actually just talked to him about it and got the facts, not just my thought facts. Those aren't real. So he just loves ketchup on any meat that he's eating like 100% of the time, no matter the flavor, the dryness, no matter if he's paying a hundred dollars for the steak at a restaurant. Okay. Maybe, maybe if it was at a restaurant and he paid a hundred dollars for the filet mignon, maybe he'd forego the ketchup, but he might grab the barbecue sauce. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. But it's so interesting when you just ask him straightforward and stop, you know, when you when we understand that the thoughts stand between his words and my feelings. It's so nice and it's so simple. So at the life coach school we call it having a manual for our husband when we attach emotions to what they do and we give all this emotional control to them that they're not even asking for because they don't know half of our expectations. So when you have a bunch of hidden expectations with, by the way, we all do, we all have hidden expectations. You know why? Cause you come from a family of origin that values certain things and just has unwritten rules that you just, for example, call a sister on her birthday. You call somebody when it's their birthday. You, you do something fun when it's their birthday, you give them a gift and he comes from another family culture that has totally different values and emphases and traditions and unwritten rules. And so you bring those into your marriage. And what we do a lot of times is for years, we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to figure out each other's unwritten rules in their quote unquote manuals for marriage without ever just asking straightforward or telling them, Hey, I want you to call me on my birthday. If you're not with me, that's really important to me right? Like, so we don't even know what our manuals are and they don't. And so it's can be very tricky and it's like shooting darts into the air and trying to hit a target. We just don't even know. But the best is to figure out what your manual is and really just choose to dissolve it. Like love him for him. Let him just be him. Put your expectations aside. It's so nice or make a request if it's really important to you. But, if he chooses not to fulfill it, or if he doesn't do it right, you gotta let it go, right? Okay, and principle number five punishing him punishes me one hundred percent of the time. We use our anger as if it were a way to hurt people. Remember in the story I shared above, I withdrew from my husband, and our thought is maybe that somehow like gets him back. It's gonna hurt him because he hurt us, but no. Remember, our thoughts hurt us. And when we realize that our own thought hurt us, and now we're throwing mean thoughts and doing mean things towards him, it's just a whole lot of mean for us. Right? There's mean in the beginning, and there's mean in the end, and there's mean all in between. There's mean, mean, mean. (laughs) So when I withdrew from my husband, I thought I was depriving him of my love or something, but. Sometimes that'll work. Like sometimes if he has thoughts about our withdrawal, like I miss her or I feel so bad that she's mad or whatever. Sometimes we get what we wanted, right? Sometimes it hurts him. His thoughts hurt him, I should say. But sometimes we want them to have mean thoughts or sad thoughts and be sad and hurt by our behavior or whatever. And they actually have thoughts that leave them totally fine, right? We've all experienced this he's completely oblivious and he's not hurting at all. And then we up the ante and we like sigh and we huff and puff or we slam a door. Yeah. He still might not even clue in, or maybe he does, but the whole time you're feeling nasty, mean. So think, how do you feel when you withdraw? When you hold a grudge, does it feel good to you? No, right? It feels crappy. We're always like, I, I hope he comes in and apologizes so I can just stop. Cause this is terrible and lonely. And I hate this. And then we have to literally wait, right? Again, we're giving them that control. We're delegating our emotions to somebody else. And that's not what an adult, what an emotional adult does. And so starting from day one right now, 2020, yeah, let's clean that up. When we try to punish people with anger and withdrawal, we punish ourselves. We don't get to feel love and love feels the best. I like to try and find a way to feel love as often as I possibly can. Okay. I hope this helps you clean out your marriage as if it was that room in your house that you keep avoiding cleaning out your attic. I hope this helps you get some clean lines. Marriage can be completely changed by remembering these things, by simplifying. You can have more space to be you, more space for love, more space for connection just be sure you don't use this new knowledge against your husband. Okay, ladies, (laughs) to get out of things or throw this back in his face and be like, ah, I didn't cause your feelings. You did, right? That's shifting responsibility. Remember you're accountable and this is emotional adulthood. So use this knowledge like an adult. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Liz here. When I was struggling as a mom of three littles, it was actually a podcast just like this that a friend shared with me that woke me up to getting the help I needed. Please consider sharing a favorite episode with a friend or leave me a review on iTunes to help other moms find the help they need here too.